Welcome to the How to Code Well podcast, a show all about web development and programming. My name is Peter Fisher. I am a freelance web and mobile applications developer. Hello coders, today we're going to be talking about compassionate software development. I'm joined by Ash Furrow from New York. Ash is a software developer, author, open source contributor, and volunteer at some coding clubs. We're going to be talking about all of that and more. Welcome to the show, Ash. How are you doing? Have you had a good week? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. My week is, uh, well, it's almost over, so it's going pretty good. Awesome. Yeah, it's always good to do it on a Friday. <laughs> <laughs> so let's uh, let's start by talking about your background. What kind of software do you build? Right. Uh, so my background has traditionally been in iOS software development, but lately I kind of do everything. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy like taking a, a problem and trying to solve it with whatever technology I have at my disposal that I can, I can use to solve the problem. So I don't want to limit myself to only solving the kinds of problems that can be solved with iOS software. Mm -hmm. So at, uh, at my job at Artsy, I've been working in everything from Scala to Rails backends to React frontends. Um, nowadays, you can find me kind of digging around the internals of our React Native application so that I can support our web developers coming over to be productive. Mm -hmm. And that's what I really enjoy doing nowadays is, is helping my colleagues be productive. <laughs> that's brilliant. And how long have you been doing this for? I've been uh, doing iOS development since 2009, but that was still in uh, university. So I've only been full-time uh, professional software engineer since uh, 2011. 2011. Still, that's quite that's quite a fair stint. And uh, how did you how did you get into this industry industry? Yeah. Um, so I started, like I said, I went to university. I, I studied computer science and I got really involved in the, uh, the community there. I was a big, um, I was actually on the student union. So I was the, the computer science faculty representative and I took that very seriously. So I would organize, uh, things like lecture series and bringing in, um, you know, software engineers from the, the local, um, community, uh, in the city that we were in, um, to give talks to the students or to my fellow students and um you know it, it sort of like started out from there um after i got uh involved in ios uh software development i started blogging about it and uh that sort of launched my the, the writing aspect of my career and more generally speaking the knowledge sharing aspects of my career yes because you've you've uh, you've created some books yourself haven't you you've, you've got a, a number mm -hmm. of books that you've uh, you've written we'll talk about those um in more detail in just a second. Let's just uh, focus though first on your university sort of background because you, was it a, a software course that you were doing at university? Uh, it was, it was technically a, a bachelor of computer science. Um, it's one of the only universities in Canada that still, um, prints out its degrees in Latin. So I, I don't know what it is in Latin off the top of my head, but, wow. uh, uh, yeah, so I have like a, a strong um, foundation in the theory of, of computation. I did a, a minor in mathematics, um, but that's sort of like the academic side. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of my 
courses were were spent in things like uh, psychology classes, economics, music theory. Uh, I really tried to take advantage of the universal aspect of university and uh, become a, a more rounded person. And uh, and that has has like more than anything benefited me as a as a professional. Excellent, excellent. And what was the thing that drove you to do that course? Well, uh, that's a good question. Um, my I, I knew computers, um, like something about them was just magical. Um, you know, when I was in high school, I would, I didn't have a home internet connection, but we had an old computer. So I would, um, print off JavaScript tutorials and then take them home and put them into the, uh, Internet Explorer so I could run local JavaScript. And that's how I learned computer programming. And I, I was just, so um taken away by by the idea of like i can have an idea and i can put it into something that works and i can create but it's not it's not uh it's not real it's not physical but it's still tangible if that makes mm. sense yeah no i get that i get that it sounds like you've done a lot of stuff with um it, with other people in the sense that you you've you've helped mentor or you've helped other people um, get involved, especially from even the university uh, level where you were helping people, um, you, you mentioned, uh, speak and get involved. Um, is that is that threaded throughout your, your development career, do you think? I, I think so, yeah. Um, I mean, that, that also ties into what I was saying about um, how I enjoy helping my colleagues be productive. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I really help, uh, or I, I really enjoy um, helping others. I, I get a lot of satisfaction out of that. So one of the, um, one of the biggest contributions I make to the New York um, uh, tech scene, I guess you'd call it, is uh, Peer Labs. Um, Peer Labs were started by my friend Samuel in Amsterdam. Right. And when I was living there, I would spend every Saturday morning uh, going to this cafe and just working with other people and just being in the same space mm. as other software developers. And if I had a question, I could ask I could just ask around, and if I heard a question that was interesting to me, I could offer my perspective. Okay. So when I when I moved to New York uh, four years ago, I I immediately started one of these peer labs. Uh, I I knew it was such a a great idea, so I do it at the artsy office every Saturday morning. Um, that helps us keep the attendance from exploding too much because we don't have a ton of space. Um, Artsy buys us pizza every weekend and provides the, the Wi-Fi and coffee. And, uh, you know, that's, that's more than enough. Um, so we have between like 20 and 30 people show up every Saturday morning um, from 1030 to one just to work together. And um, I like, it, it's, it's strange because like, I don't do a lot. Like I don't, it's not a typical meetup where there are presentations. It's where to, it's it's a meetup where you go to to learn, but it's not a place you go to be taught. If that makes sense. So it's not necessarily like a user group in the sense that we have like lightning talks or a, mm -hmm. a particular theme. It's that's right. Is it is it is it correct to say it's it's more like uh, like a co working space? Is that is that yeah correct? yeah. Yeah, it, it's very fair to compare it to that. Um, and it started out very focused in iOS development, but over the years it has spread. Um, I created um, a website called peerlab.community a couple of years ago because I knew this was really 
you know, good idea and I wanted to spread it. Mm-hmm. So peerlab.community has uh, instructions for someone to start their own peer lab and it has a list of peer labs around the world. So there are, are peer labs um, in many different continents, um, many cities. Um, people have taken this idea and uh, created something um, on their own. And that's the sort of like that level is, is what I'm really interested in. Like when I can um, take an idea that I have and implement it, that's great. But if I can make that an idea that, you know, helps other people, mm-hmm. like that's that's what I'm really interested in out of my career. That is super awesome. That is super awesome. Um, Thanks. So so how, how does one, um, say if there was a listener in New York, how does one join? How does one start to go to one of these these things? Yeah. Um, so if you wanted to go to uh, the peer lab that I help run, you would go to peerlab.community, find it there in the list. There's a link to the meetup page. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also like contact details if you have any questions or um, just want to like find out more first. Right. Uh, yeah. And does it, is, does it cost anything? Is there a subscription? Is there what, you know? No, what? it's uh, it's just a, a, a purely free volunteer run thing. Like I said, um, Artsy provides the, the space, the, um, the Wi-Fi, the pizza, the coffee. Um, my coworker and I uh, run it. We're there every week. Um, I found that it's helpful to have someone help you out with these things in case, uh, you know, I wake up sick one day. I, I don't have to worry about, uh, you know, people showing up to the office and, you know, building security wouldn't let them in, the whole thing. Uh, so we avoid that. But, um, but yeah, it, it's, um, it's something that I do because I think it's important for people to have a space mm. where they can work. Uh, a lot of the meetups are focused around, um, you know, teaching. And I think that's really important. Um, but they're, they're focused on sort of like, um, distribution of knowledge from a leader to um, to people who are learning uh, learners, mm-hmm. um, and it has a, a strong networking component. Whereas this really focuses on like um, you know just the work. Like um, we did start. Um, so so one of the really cool things is that uh, some of the other peer lab organizers have visited New York and they visited my peer lab, and um, we exchange ideas. And they have taken this idea that I got from Samuel, and they've improved mm-hmm. upon it. Mm-hmm. So now um, we start off with um with a stand-up we actually go around and introduce ourselves and say what we're working on and that that kind of gives you an opportunity to um you know talk about yourselves via you know what you're interested in doing what you are doing rather Mm. than necessarily like who you are already that is so cool that is so cool i must say i wasn't even aware of this this is this is such a i wish i wish it's a it's another (laughs) when i speak to people who have these amazing uh ideas and and they they contribute i wish i knew of these things when i was first starting out um, <laughs> so so for anyone who didn't catch that what is the url that they need to go to they should go to peerlab.community peerlab.community i'll put all of these links in the show notes below um you also volunteer at a place called coalition for queens is that correct Yep, Coalition for Queens. Coalition, uh, they're yeah. rebranding as Pursuit, but they yeah. are a. Uh, um, you can think of them like a, a hacker school or or a boot camp, but they're a nonprofit. So right. they um, they bring in uh, people from underrepresented groups in tech, from uh, mainly from uh, the Queens borough of New York, right. and okay. uh, and they teach them how to code. It's a very intensive process. Uh, it takes about nine months, and they cover everything from 
you know, the first time you may have opened the terminal to um, to shipping something to the store, wow. uh, if, if you're doing the iOS uh, curriculum, and then, um, you know, a large component of that is building a final project to mm. show off to employers and preparation for interviews. And, uh, yeah, I, I help out, um, with the iOS curriculum. So helping, um, just figure out what it is that the, um, employers are going to be asking for mm-hmm. and helping like, cause we only have so much time. We need to deliver that curriculum to them, uh, as quickly as possible. You know, a lot of the people are working full-time jobs while they're going to this in the nights and weekends. It's a, it's a huge amount of work mm-hmm. and, uh, I have nothing but respect for the, um, for the students there. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other way I help is, um, by just being there for different events. If they have a hackathon, mm. I'll be there to help mentor the different groups. Or um, a big component of this is uh, mock interviews. So getting them in the practice of um, of interviewing for a job before the, the they really have a lot of stakes and giving them like the feedback that they need to be successful in an interview afterwards. And unfortunately, a large part of that involves whiteboard interviewing, which I'm personally very much against. But uh, this is something that it's weird because I, I'm against it, but I have to help them prepare for it. So I have to be a whiteboard interviewer. <laughs> that's uh, that's cool. Um, yeah, that 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 initiative is is so. So awesome. Is it, is it open for, is it open for anyone who wants to start learning these things or, you know, is it, do they, do they only target a particular type of developer, front end, back end? Junior. Right. So they have three different um, sort of like streams you can go in. There is uh, iOS, Android, and web. Right. Um, so web covers a bit of uh, Rails and uh, and front end as well. Mm. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it's great. They put a lot of their educational materials up on GitHub. Mm. So they're um, they're big believers in in sharing knowledge as well. Mm. Um, so we align very well that way. And you said that they are a nonprofit as well. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. Kudos to them. And if anybody wants to find out more information about um Coalition for Queens, what is the what is the URL? The best way to get to them would be c4q.nyc. Okay. And that should uh that if they have their new website up uh by the time this comes out, it'll redirect to their new site. Sweet. That's uh that's great. Thank you ever so much. That's uh, I hope that will help people out who who listen to to the podcast, um, I get asked all the time about resources and, uh, you know, what, what would I advise people to do if they're trying to get into this industry? Uh, maybe they've got problems with um, financing a course or just don't have the confidence to um, to 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 go to a full blown sort of user group with a talk and being mm-hmm. taught, taught at, like you said, but those two things, Peer Lab, Correlation for Creens, that they are, I think they would help fit that, that space. Um, so that's, mm-hmm. that's pretty, pretty awesome. Yeah, we actually get a lot of uh, students coming from uh, C4Q to come to the peer lab as well. Um, you know, like people, you know, most peer labs will have half of them uh, regulars, and half of them will be people who just show up every now and then or maybe newcomers. And uh, it's a great mix to have like seasoned professionals coming in um, alongside people who may have only started programming a few months ago. Mm-hmm. It, it, it gives them a level of exposure to, to mm-hmm. other developers in a, in, exactly. a, in a comfortable space. That is super cool. Yeah, I'm really digging that. Um, okay, so you yourself have written several books. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about those for a minute. You, how many books have you created? 
Um, that's a good question. I, I, th- I think five. Um, but one of them, like my first book, um, I got noticed by, uh, an author and, um, and his publisher and he was looking for, um, it, it was a book on objective C and he wanted someone to write the boring chapters that, you know, the sort of like chapters one through five of just getting someone familiar with the basics mm. so that he could focus on the interesting stuff. And, uh, that's how I got involved in book writing. Um, after that, I wrote, um, a book on UI collection view, which is, uh, at the time it was a new, uh, way to build user interfaces in, uh, iOS applications. Um, after that, I started self-publishing. I wrote a book on your first Swift app. Mm-hmm. I wrote a book on uh, functional reactive programming. Um, and those have been through a few different editions. Uh, most recently, I don't write as much as I mm-hmm. used to, but I do a lot of technical editing. Right. Um, my most recent project is um, with the raywenderlich.com site um, on Rx Swift, which is also on functional reactive programming. Right, right. And if if anybody wanted to to find out what the books are and see if they can order one, where where is the best place to to do that? Is it are they on Amazon? Uh, yeah, a lot of them are on Amazon. Yeah. I've got links to all of them from my books page, so you can right. go to ashfro.com/books and uh, you can look at them all there. Awesome! I will put that in the show notes as well. That's uh, thanks. That sounds good. So. Just talking about the books, what was your motivation to to actually start writing? What was the thing that that drove you to that? Well, I mean, I started writing on my blog a lot, you know, um, way before I started writing books. And my motivation for that was just to um, understand things better because I find that, um, like, I did a lot of uh, TA work when I was in university. Mm-hmm. And the nights I spent in the labs helping other students with their homework, I mean, maybe it was a class I had already done before, or maybe it was a, you know, a student in the same class that I was in, Mm. but teaching solidified concepts for me in a way that um, strictly classroom learning or even application of, of like doing homework assignments didn't help me with. I, I really like by going through the process of teaching someone else something, I really had to understand my stuff. Mm. Um, so I applied that to what I was learning. Um, you know, I, there was no course at my university on how to build iOS applications um, because this was 2009. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I wanted to take that same idea. So I started blogging about everything from like, how do you use an array in Objective-C and like really basic stuff. And, you know, a lot of those blog posts are still up. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, so, I, I just I I loved the idea of exploring a topic, and um, I've always really enjoyed writing. I I was um, really fortunate to have um, a fantastic English teacher in high school who who gave me a love of um, of expressing ideas, and um, you know it it just kind of combines a couple of the things that I I enjoy so much, which is like helping others. Um, it, it's expressing myself and. Uh, really um you know just it, it's fun to sort of like put your mind through the the pace of like the the paces of how do i explain this idea because it's not enough to understand you really have to be good at um taking a complex idea breaking it down into um simple t- terms and then um delivering those simple terms in a way that resonates with with an audience um and that's some th- th- those are skills that i apply outside just writing books or blog posts, you know, like I, um, at work, I have a weekly office hours for people just to come and, and work on 
writing assignments, if they're trying to write a blog post or uh, if they're applying to speak at a conference or if they're just writing some documentation or something that they, they care about, mm. um, you know, it, it's such a rewarding thing for me to do. Uh, I enjoy it so much. Well, I'm, I'm certainly getting some some uh, compassionate vibes from you. You're you're you're, <laughs> you're very uh, switched on with how the other people, other developers, your your even your peers, the people you're around, um, feel about the software that they're writing. And it mm-hmm. sounds like you're you've set up some some spaces that make uh, make them feel as comfortable and as welcome as possible. And I think here's a, a great point part to sort of talk about the compassion of software. How, how do you think uh, co- compassionate software uh, development should be? I mean, what's, what's your thoughts on that? What's your take on compassionate software? What, what is it from your perspective? Right. Yeah. Um, so compassionate software is um, a way of, of building software compassionately, and that's mm. sort of circular. So, what does that even mean? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's helpful to define compassion in terms that programmers understand. Um, so, I look at compassion as an optimization problem. So, it's something that I'm trying to minimize. I'm trying to minimize suffering. Mm. And when I approach compassion in those terms, it becomes um, easy to see, like. You know, if I'm uh, considering taking an action, um, you know, I can think about how that action is going to affect mm. the amount of suffering around me. So that will help drive, like that. That really motivates my um, underlying um, philosophy to how I approach software development. And um, you know, the the that that's sort of like the philosophical side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, on the practical side of things, uh, I think that. Um, I lay this out in a, a blog post link to from the homepage of my of my website. But um, you know, to build compassionate software, you really have to to recognize that feelings matter, and uh, you know that's not always uh, something that um, people take for granted, that programmers take for granted. Mm. Um, but it, you know, it's it, it's true. You know, feelings do matter, whether or not you're um, willing to acknowledge that they, they still influence us. Um, and um, one thing that I really have focused, um, I, you know, I've been fortunate because Artsy has given me the space and the resources to do some research and and not only bring these ideas back to our team, but also share them with with other teams. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that uh, I kept coming back to was psychological safety. And unfortunately, this has become a bit of a buzzword. Um, but uh, psychological safety is, uh, you know, a, a way to describe how willing your team members are to take interpersonal risks. So that could be asking a question they mm. think everyone already knows the answer to, you know, um, that could be, um, you know, suggesting a, a, a unconventional idea you know it, the the degree of psychological safety um, that your team exhibits can really um, have a huge impact on how it uh, how your team performs um, you know teams that exhibit psychological safety perform better and we actually have data on this right. you know we can look at psychological safety in hospital teams which is actually where a lot of the academic research has been done um, and we see that um, surgeries where people decide Discuss their mistakes, or, or sorry, surgical teams, where um, the professionals, the nurses, and the doctors, you know, they discuss their mistakes and they're upfront with them. They actually um, have better post-operation patient outcomes right. than the teams that um, 
report fewer mistakes. They, they, they're still making mistakes, mm. but they're not reporting them and they're not learning from them. And so, uh, I mean, like, this is a, a you, you've, you've hit like, um, the, the sort of central driving force behind my, um, professional practice, but, um, psychological safety is, um, is, is a huge component of that. And, um, and to build compassionate software, you really have to, think about um, your team in terms of psychological safety and in terms of minimizing the suffering of those around you. Wow. I've, I've, I've never, I've never thought of it like that at all. Um, we, we are all human and yet we are writing code to build systems. And I've never thought of the, uh, having the, that sort of level of thought about the feelings of others. I mean, I try and obviously go about my day-to-day in a respectful manner, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, yes, that, 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 that's really from a, from a, from a sort of a high level sort of point of view. That's, that's quite a, it's quite an interesting topic. Quite yeah, and and like to, just to touch on or yeah. to, to branch off something that you touched on there, um, you know, the idea of like building systems. I think you're you're absolutely right. Like we build systems, but we actually write code. Mm. And there's this um, there's this idea that we write code for computers, and I I, I disagree with that. Um, if you've read the um, the book, the structure and interpretation of computer programs, I um, don't know. The, well, who, it, who wrote that? Uh, it was sort of a. a a few different, I can't remember their names right now, but uh, a group of people wrote this book right. um, a few decades ago, I believe. Um, it was quite, you know, foundational to me at the time. I haven't read it in a long time. Um, but the um, the idea is that um, we don't write code for computers. You know, we write it for people, and it's only incidentally executed by computers. And and they they state that in, in introduction of the book. It, it's sort of like so foundational to their work as well. Wow, that's just just blown my mind. Yep. <laughs> wow. Do after this show, do do send me that link because I will Certainly. I will look at look look at getting that book and uh, it sounds like it's going to be an eye opening read. <laughs> and uh, I, I can only I can only say that I wish I was exposed to this when I was at university um, because we we were always taught you know to build software for software's sake, you know, in the sense that you have a client and this is their needs. And so you're going to build the software to fulfill that client's needs, but you never took upon the emotional implications of what that software could, could do if it's going to make the person um, more happy, more sad, and also just the general soft skills around talking to the client, talking to and discovering the the customer's needs. It was, mm-hmm. you know, we, we came away, what I'm trying to sort of say in a roundabout way is, is we came away with a, a to-do list of things to build. And we weren't, we, we weren't actually given the, 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 the impact level of what those things could do. Mm-hmm. And, and it's also, I think, um, around the bugs and the priorities so i mean when you're when you're fixing bugs you gravitate to the low hanging fruit which isn't always the best best uh to to go for um because there are bugs that perhaps would benefit the person's life more 
then um, make them feel more comfortable. You know, it's not just solving an issue because the software's broken. It's also solving mm-hmm. an issue because this is actually impacting someone's life. And I, yeah, it's, that's a very interesting. I've, yeah, I've, my mind is now going down that rabbit hole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it's not just um, the software we build for the intention that we build it. I mean, we can build software that is misused or we could build software that, um, you know, breaks in an unexpected way. And I think as um, professionals, we have a responsibility to Mm -hmm. think about those sort of things when we, when we build something, how might it be used or, or, you know, what would be the implications of this breaking? Um, I think those are important questions to ask. Yeah, that's such a good point. The whole misuse of software. Yeah. Um, I think that's something that we don't, as developers, consider enough you know, how might this software be used for bad, for, for, for evil? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, um, to get off on a little bit of a tangent, this mm-hmm. is something that I've been thinking about more recently because, you know, uh, where I'm from in Canada, I'm, I'm not allowed to call myself a software engineer because I don't have a software engineering degree. I'm not a member of the Professional Engineering Society. Um, so, th- you know, that's a protected term. I, if I, if I called myself that without those, uh, without that accreditation, that would be, you know, against the law. Um, and when I come to the U.S., it's, it's very different where I, I am, I am a software engineer. Um, and I, I, I'm not, you know, there, there was a time when I was, uh, very much against that idea, but, you know, it, language changes over time. So I'm not against the idea of calling myself a software engineer now. Mm-hmm. What I try to do instead is learn more about engineering and, and you know, what, what does it mean to, to engineer something um, that is, you know, building something and engineering something are two different activities and what makes them different? What's the delta between those two and how can I learn um, how to engineer something so that I can build something better? Am I right in thinking because you touched on the point there about engineers. Am I right in thinking, and, and this might be just a, a, a stupid question, but am I right in thinking that um, over in the US, I, I'm not too sure where, but when you're classed as an engineer of building, say you're building a bridge, you have to take an engineer's oath to say that you're going to build this responsibly, ethically. Is that the case? Uh, in Canada, it is. I'm, I'm not sure about the U.S., but it wouldn't right. surprise me. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's um. So I mean, we we don't. I mean, even doctors and nurses, when they're they have to take an oath. They mm-hmm. have to take an oath to, and we don't. We as software developers, we don't. And there's been all sorts of things in the industry where something has been in the news. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not going to name any names. And, you know, as a developer, it's kind of shocked me. It's sort of like, you know, how could you have done this? Um, and you know that those developers are just going to get hired again, you know, and, and we don't have any of that. We don't have any of that sort of, um, I don't want to call it a safety net, but we don't have that kind of, um, that regulation. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, yeah, and I, I think there's a reluctance to adopt any sort of uh, regulation because software development has always been seen as a sort of uh, a scrappy endeavor, something that you can do in your hobby that you can turn into a business in your garage. And mm. there's the whole Silicon Valley uh, mythos that's sort of wrapped up in this. And I don't think it's an either or kind of thing. I okay. think that we can look to engineering to to take the 
the best ideas of engineering and the, the best ideas of protecting people when we build something and apply those without um, bringing on all of the, you know, it, it's trade-offs. Um, there, there's always going to be a trade-off. And I, I don't think that by rejecting the decision, we really do um, a, a, a service to the idea of, of like trading things off and, and, you know, we do that all the time when we write code. We mm-hmm. make we make trade offs. Are we going to use this library, this library, or whatever? You know, but we don't sometimes a- approach um, you know the practice of building software in the same sort of nuanced way. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah. So okay, so let's say for example, um, someone wants to get into this industry and they want to be compassionate. Is there any sort of advice that you could give as to how they should? conduct themselves, how, how, how they should go about their, their business, de- how they should develop the, the software, you know, what, what are the things that they need to consider? That's a, hmm, that's such a good uh, question. I, I've never really thought about it from the perspective of, of a true beginner. Mostly when I give talks or when I, uh, you know, write uh, blog posts about this kind of thing, I'm targeting um, people who are experienced, uh, professionals, or maybe they, you know, at the very least, they're already working in the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that, um, hmm, I mean, I can recommend some, some resources. Um, Compassionate Coding is a firm run by April Wenzel, mm-hmm. and she has a lot of, um, great resources around like the importance of compassion. And she goes into a lot more of the practical details than I do. And, and I have, uh, I have a lot of respect for, for her and her work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but I, I think it's also just, um, just worth mentioning that like, it's, it's not going to be, um, the default, you know, when you enter the software industry, you know, it isn't going to be the case that, um, everyone is compassionate or that, you know, more people than not are compassionate. You're going to run into situations where, um, you know, people aren't acting in, in this sort of like the, the way that I've, I've expressed. I mean, like even, um, you know, around New York, there, there are companies I, I, I know about that I don't, you know, have interest in, in working with professionally because of, you know, how they act. And unfortunately, that's, that's pretty, um, common. So, you know, if you're, if, if what I've talked about has resonated with you, um, and, um, you're interested in applying compassion to your practice mm-hmm. of, of building software, definitely do that. Please do pursue that and, um, keep that interest alive. But, um, you know, when you're first beginning out, the most important things for you to focus on are going to be your skills and practicing your skills. Um, so there's going to be a balance again mm. with trade offs. You're going to have to balance between gaining the skills and experience that you need to, um, demonstrate that you're, um, someone worth hiring in this job market, but you're also going to have to try to be true to yourself and, and true to your ideals. So, um, try to be upfront about those things and uh you know don't turn away from uh difficult or um yeah don't don't turn away from difficult topics of discussion or ideas yeah yeah that's some very good points there i i guess as as someone who could be looking to get into this industry it's it is important as you said to focus on the skills these compassionate things will crop up and i i I do, I can, I can count several occasions in my career where I have thought, you know, hang on a minute, this isn't actually the best 
direction. It's not it doesn't sort of sit right. It's, it's not comfortable with me in some of the companies that have approached me for doing mm-hmm. various things. It could be an ethical thing. It could be it could be um, how how they treat. It could even be how they treat data. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it, it's and and you have to navigate those waters. And it's you shouldn't just chase the check. You shouldn't just chase the high high end price if they're just sort of you know waving this sort of um paycheck around you you have to navigate your way around what is it that you're actually going to be doing how are you going to be influencing the end user you know um and all of that kind of kind of stuff i mean it there's i can yeah i can think of privacy ethical all sorts of random mm-hmm. stuff that 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 you have to consider when you are more of a more uh, more senior, because you're mm-hmm. you're exposed more to to all of these opportunities, and not every opportunity is the right opportunity. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is why I've targeted so many of my uh, resources at people who are um, I would say like intermediate to senior, yeah. because um, as as the leaders in the industry, they're the ones ones who have the most sway and they're the ones who sort of set the rules, set the um, the range of acceptable behavior. Um, so they're the ones who I sort of target with this. And I think that if I were to sort of like sum up for a beginner who wants to, to get involved, mm-hmm. like try not to worry about this too much now, but keep it in mind. And as you grow in your career, return to this idea and um, refine your practice over time. That's yeah, very good point. Very, very good point. So we've talked about compassionate software development, and we've also talked about uh, the various bits and pieces that you do. You sound like you're an extremely busy, busy guy. You also <laughs> do uh, contribute to open source software. Are you mm-hmm. able to talk about some of those projects that you've you've worked on? I'd love to. Yeah, um, the the biggest project um, that I've I've sort of like um, built that's become like a, an open source project mm-hmm. is uh, called Moya, uh, M O Y A, and it's a it's a networking library for iOS. Um, it was built. Um, it was started in the weeks after Swift's announcement in 2014, um, and it became its own um, GitHub community and organization for people to contribute to. Um, I've kind of like stepped back as a as a leader from that, mm-hmm. but um, I'm not. not I, mean, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Moya is a very technically interesting library, and its use of some new Swift language features was really innovative at the time. Mm-hmm. But um, what I'm most proud of in that project is the community that I built up. Um, one of the the biggest keys to success uh, that Moya saw was that um, whenever someone submitted a pull request mm. and we merged it, we would invite them to the GitHub organization so that they could review other pull requests and they could help triage bugs. You know, they they had full right access to the repo. Um, you know, we protected the master branch. We did you know basic due diligence and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and this sort of um, this sort of became uh, what we called the Moya Contributor Guidelines that we now promote on the Moya GitHub organization. Um, we have fully automated this process, so now whenever a PR gets merged and the person's not already in the GitHub organization, they are invited and uh, comments left on their pull request explaining what's going on, linking to our code of conduct, and uh, asking them to reach out with any questions. So um, that's been the the um, most successful part of my open source contributions. I, I would say um, I do something similar with the RxSwift community 
GitHub organization. Um, RX Swift is like a, a way to build applications in a paradigm called functional reactive programming. Right. And the RX Swift community, GitHub org, is all about um, extending RX Swift to fit in with iOS uh, in, in a more first class way. So whereas RX Swift provides the abstractions you need to build software, mm-hmm. RX Swift community might provide the um, access to the Bluetooth API using the RX Swift uh, abstractions, or it might provide, you know, these sort of like mm. um, iOS specific things. Whereas RX Swift is really a shared abstraction that you can find, you know, RX Java, you know, RX PHP, like a whole bunch of languages um, implement RX. Um, and, and that's been great because it hasn't really been like, I mean, a lot of the earlier projects were things that I created, but over time we've got dozens of, of, um, projects now from different people who they had a need and they, um, they solved that need with some code and they shared it with others. And now they're uh, a part of a community of people who, um, all believe that, you know, this is a cool way to write programs and they want to share what they learn with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are like the, the two biggest like open source contributions I made, but, um, my, my work is, is largely open source. Um, artsy is, um, it's not unique among engineering companies, but it is, um, uh, fairly, uh, distinct, which is, uh, to say that we practice what's called open source by default. Right. Um, mo- most software is written, um, sort of like a closed source by default. So you mm. close the, so- the source, you keep it secret unless there's a reason to open it up and share it. And we kind of turn that on its head and we say, um, well, wait a minute, why don't we share it unless there's a reason to keep it secret? And through that process, um, you know, when I when I joined Artsy, you know, we had a lot of open source, but um, since then all of our iOS software, um, every app that we've written, so we've got five iOS app, four or five iOS applications, depending on how you count. Um, they're all open source. Um, we make it really easy for contributors to download the source code and play with it and learn from it. Um, and uh, we do that on our front end web stack as well. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the software that RC builds is open source, but not all of it. We're not, we're not like um, ideologues or anything. You know, we, we, there, there's practical reasons to keep something closed. Of course, yes. Um, but that's that's a, a huge source of pride for me is that um you know I can use the software that I build at Artsy for other things, you know, like um I I wanted to um know how fast computers were at building Xcode projects. Mm-hmm. So uh I used one of our open source iOS applications and I started a GitHub repo um called Xcode Hardware Performance. And people have just been submitting um the times that it takes to build this software with clean compiles and incremental builds in Xcode for the past three years or so. And we have like a huge list of like, you know, if if you're looking to buy a, a Mac and you're curious like what is the difference between, you know, buying a MacBook Air and buying like a, a you know, beefed out <laughs> MacBook Pro? Like, you know, what what does that mean um, in terms of my day to day? And you can mm-hmm. see that like, oh, the compile times are like a third as long. So, um, you know, that resource wouldn't have been possible without first having, uh, you know, a production mm-hmm. complex mm-hmm. iOS application to use as a testbed. That sounds awesome. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I love the fact that everything, the majority of things are open source um yeah i i think that is probably one of the only companies that i'm aware of at the moment that um that does that has that kind of stance i my background just to give a bit of context is is ecom 
e-commerce um, where they don't not put things in the open source world. Well, at <laughs> least their base stuff. Obviously, they use lots of other libraries and and bits and pieces. How how have you uh, what? You say that there's some sensitive stuff, obviously, that you keep closed. Mm -hmm. How, how, what's your take on the copyright of things like that? Um, are you, I, I guess, because of the contributors, it's, it's, it's slightly easier because, you know, the people are actually helping you build the thing. Uh, but what, what was the stance with, with um, things like uh, duplicating and forking the the project, is that is that still possible? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, all of the open source we have is distributed under the MIT right. open source license, so it's a permissive license. Someone can, you know, they could if they wanted to um, build like a competitor to yeah, Artsy's yeah. application, but they'd be using our API. Like the the software isn't really the valuable part of our business, and that's how we determine whether or not something should be closed or not. If the software makes us unique and valuable, mm. then we keep it closed source. So our API API is closed source, but the GraphQL um, server that orchestrates all of our front end requests and, and calls our API, mm -hmm. that's open source because it's not, you know, nothing about a GraphQL orchestration layer is helping, you know, Artsy be unique. It's it's really um, a tool that we use to, to provide a service to our users and to our customers. And so, um, you know, we, we've had... Um, open source libraries that we've created and open sourced. Um, we encourage our engineers when they, when they create a library, mm. they create it under their own GitHub user. Um, they have the copyright to it. We just ask that the MIT license it so that Artsy can continue to use it. Um, we've had competitors open up pull requests to our um, open source libraries because wow. they used it and they wanted to improve it. So there's, it, it's, it's not like a, a zero sum game. We, we have, um, there's an opportunity to see software and building software as um, a way to improve the world outside just improving, you know, your product. So, um, yeah, I, I exactly. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. It definitely. It, it it's such a a unique and refreshing stance on developing software. Mm -hmm. Especially the point you made about the competitors have made pull requests because they would be doing a pull request knowing that they are themselves making their competitors' software better. <laughs> mm -hmm. But remember, they've already made the software better. They're just sharing that improvement with us. And that's mm -hmm. sort of a way for them to reciprocate because they couldn't have made the improvement on the software without us distributing that software in the first place. Yeah, that yeah yeah I see. That's uh, wow. You've blown my mind a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> That's really really good. How did you how did you get involved with that company? Um, I was um, so it was late 2013, and my wife was uh, finishing her grad school, and we were like, well, 
you know, let's, let's live outside of North America for a little bit. Um, we weren't really, you know, we wanted to live in a different country. We weren't really excited about America. Um, we eventually ended up in New York, but, um, we decided to move to Amsterdam because it had a really cool community there of app developers called Amsterdam. Um, and, uh, and that's where I found out about Pure Lab and everything. So, um, we moved there. The job uh, that I had found, um, remotely, um, kind of fell through and um so i was just doing some contracting and stuff and uh there was a conference in amsterdam that i was speaking at that an acquaintance of mine from twitter um named orta thorox um he was speaking out as well um the CocoaPods dependency manager is uh, a project that, that he's involved with and uh, we did some pair programming on this dependency manager over over the weekend that the conference took place um, and we just worked together and and you know worked really well together so he said uh, if I was ever looking for a job that I should send him a direct message on Twitter so that's that's what I did and that's how I ended up at Artsy. Wow that's a, that's a great story that is it's been fascinating talking to you and <laughs> discovering all the the compassionate side of of software i'm i do please send me that book link i will i will get it and and i'll read it and i think that i mean i this is why i love doing these things because I, I take away a lot of 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 stuff uh speaking to very interesting people like yourself before we Thank wrap you. up before we wrap up is there anything else that you wish to wish to add um do you have any social media links that you would like to mention or anything else that you want to plug sure yeah um so i'm on uh twitter at uh, ashfurrow mm -hmm. a s h f u r r o w um i've got a website ashfurrow.com i um host a mastodon instance if you're trying to get away from the uh you know the sort of centralized uh, aspects of social media you can go to mastodon.technology and sign up for an account and follow me there um yeah that's it excellent well i'll definitely put all those in the show notes both on the youtube and on the podcast um and yeah it's been it's been fantastic it's been fascinating talking to you ash um i wish you all the best in whatever you build in the future and um yeah thank you ever so much for coming on the show i really appreciate it and thank you everyone for watching or listening on the podcast uh, happy coding and i'll see you again soon cheers bye